This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Acts chapter 4. Perhaps few congregations experience the tremendous outpouring of the Spirit in the 19th century more than Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Conversions and life transformation became a way of life for the church. On one of his visits to the continent, their pastor, Charles Spurgeon, met an American minister who said, I've long wished to see you, Mr. Spurgeon, and to put one or two simple questions to you. In our country, there are many opinions as to the secret of your great influence. Would you be good enough to give me your own point of view? After a moment's pause, Spurgeon replied, My people pray for me. And pray they did. During their morning worship service, a group of church members met down below in the boiler room and prayed for those gathered above. Another feature of their life together was Monday night prayer meeting, which Spurgeon treasured dearly. He once overheard it referred to as only a prayer meeting. He called that a wicked description. Because there's nothing that could be common or trivial about the church gathering to meet with God in prayer. He said at the beginning of one of those prayer meetings this, very often as I've gone home, I've felt that the spirit of prayer has been so manifestly poured out in our midst that we've been carried right up to the gates of heaven on the wings of believing supplication and the sacred anointing which we have received from the Holy Spirit's gracious influences, has left a blessed perfume and holy savor upon us long after we've left the assembly. If we're to receive such a blessing tonight, and whenever we meet in the name of Jesus for prayer and praise, we must sincerely desire it, confidently expect it, and go straight to God to ask for it. Can you imagine walking into a prayer meeting and leaving it feeling like that? While this isn't specifically a prayer meeting per se, we have gathered this morning in the name of the resurrected Jesus for prayer and praise. This is not just another Sunday. This is not just another worship service. It's an unrepeatable gathering where we, the redeemed, have been welcomed freely by the Holy God through the completed work of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit to commune with Him. And so I pray that each time we meet, there would be a sense of expectancy, holy expectancy that the Lord Himself would meet with us, that Christ would walk among us, and that the anointing of the Holy Spirit would mark our lives so that they would be lived like the aroma of Christ to the world around us. Like Spurgeon encourage us that we would, each time we gather for prayer and praise, for fellowship and worship, for instruction and ordinances, that we would seek the face of God 
the presence of Christ, confidently expect it. Go straight to God and ask for it. What do you expect would happen when we gather for corporate worship? What do you expect would happen? In Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, we have the privilege of walking into a prayer meeting of the early church. As these believers experience their first taste of serious persecution, their reflex is to fly to God in prayer. In what may have been considered, and maybe wickedly called, only a prayer meeting, the description of this occasion contains helpful lessons on prayer, on prayer itself, and the role of prayer in the life of each local church. Here we learn something of three things. First, the practice of prayer. Second, the posture of prayer. And third, the power of prayer. If you're able to, would you stand with me as we read together from God's holy and inerrant word? Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. This is the living, breathing word of God. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, look with me at the church's practice of prayer, verses 23 to 28. The courtroom scene we witnessed last week has ended. Peter and John have been released from their cells and dismissed from their trial. Every step along the way, they have been filled with boldness, proclaiming salvation in the name of Jesus. And they've confessed they could not help but speak and tell of the things they had seen and heard. Now they return to their friends, the ESV says. More literally, it's their own people, their church, their family. They return to their church family and turn to the Lord in prayer. One of the beautiful realities about this account is how the report of opposition to the gospel 
doesn't result in paralysis or, or hand-wringing. Rather, it unites the church in prayer. The disciples lift their voices together with one heart, with one voice, with one mind to the one true God. One of the things I want to show you from this prayer meeting is the God-centered theological foundation it's built on. There's a God-centeredness to it. This prayer meeting isn't just thrown together haphazardly or entered into clumsily. It's built on a solid understanding of who God is and what prayer is. These opening verses are an extended invocation asking God to meet with him. They're calling on God together. And it all begins by acknowledging God as the Lord of all creation. Verse 23. The Lord of all creation. He's hailed as the sovereign Lord. The Greek word used there for Lord is different than the one normally used through the New Testament to describe reverence and honor. Here, it's a word that communicates absolute authority and control. They're saying our God is the one who has absolute authority, limitless control over the entire universe. And as an expression of his absolute authority, God is acknowledged as the one who made and ordained all of creation and orchestrates everything in them. Why does the prayer begin with this truth? Because these believers knew that it was the sovereign Lord who had also ordained their life and orchestrating everything in them. In the early moments of persecution, the church never lost sight that God was sovereign over all. They also acknowledge that God is the Lord of revelation, verses 24 to 27. By revelation, I mean that they believe that God had spoken to them through the scriptures. In a moment, they're going to pray the Bible from Psalm chapter 2. But before they do that, they acknowledge that what they're about to read comes from a God who has spoken to his people, who has made himself known. Particularly, God has spoken through David and by the Holy Spirit at the same time. So God's revelation in Holy Scripture came from God himself through people. The theological language of that is verbal, plenary, inspiration. It was spoken by God, it was truthfully written, and written down once and for all. The Baptist Faith and Message says it like this, The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. We wholeheartedly affirm that statement today as a people. This is how God has spoken to us. He is the God of revelation. Now, This is just a brief part of the prayer, and so it must be also for us this morning. But I want you to look with me at this quotation from Psalm 2 as they pray the words of Scripture together. You'll see it set apart in your Bible, quoting from the book of Psalms. 
the quotation highlights at least two important facts. The first is that Jesus is the Lord's anointed. What David portrays in Psalm 2 by that same title, calling him the Lord's anointed, is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of great David's greater son, Jesus of Nazareth. He was the one who was anointed as king, anointed as Messiah, who would not only rule, but also save his people from their sins. Verse 27 shows clearly that they are interpreting Scripture this way. They're showing how Psalm 2 points to Jesus and how this prophetic psalm is ultimately fulfilled in him. The second interpretive feature comes in verses 27 and 28 showing that the kings and rulers mentioned in Psalm 2, these ones who set themselves against the Lord and against His anointed, that's against David as king. Well, this scene of old points to another scene, the greatest scene, most tragic scene, wonderful scene in all of history, where the kings of the earth, the rulers of the world, set themselves, assemble themselves against the Lord and against His son, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Here we see that the wicked alliance of Herod and Pilate, along with the Gentiles and even the Jews, all joined together against Jesus in the event of his death. They're gathering this from Scripture, learning this from the Lord, the Lord of Revelation. And then finally, notice how they understand God to be the Lord of history in verse 28. The opening section of the prayer ends with the assurance that God had predestined everything that they had witnessed. God had predestined even the most horrific event in history in the death of Jesus. Yet, even that suffering was orchestrated, ordained before the foundations of the earth were laid. The believers see Christ's crucifixion as the clear plan of God revealed in Scripture. An author named Brian Tabb says, this perspective helps them make sense of the threats that they experience from these Jewish leaders. The disciples' understanding of Christ's suffering, according to the Scriptures, gives them the confidence they need to endure adversity, to speak God's words with clarity and courage. We see he is the sovereign Lord of all creation, the Lord of revelation, and the Lord of history. This is who God is. It's rich theology of prayer, the one that they are praying to. Before we move on, I'd like us to stop for a moment and ask ourselves, do I have a strong reflex of prayer in my life? Where do you run when Devastating news shatters your day. Where do you turn when an argument with your spouse seems to have no end? What do you do when your family isolates you from the family conversation and the family gatherings because you keep talking about Jesus to them? Is your reflex to run to the sovereign Lord, to turn to the Lord of Revelation and stand upon his word, 
to call upon the Lord of history who ordains all things? Or do you run from him like Adam and Eve from the garden? Or just ignore him altogether, pretending like you can make it through things on your own? What an example is set for us here. To be a people whose reflex is to run to God, dependently, desperately in prayer. The old hymn writer James Montgomery says, Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. His watchword at the gates of death, he enters heaven with prayer. The second aspect I want to highlight about this prayer meeting recorded for us is the posture of prayer, verses 29 and 30. Here we see adoration turns to petition. The church now asks the Lord for specific things, making their requests known to God. As we overhear these requests, we get a good sense of how these disciples understood the importance of their mission as people sent by Jesus to make disciples. What is the posture of this prayer? We see it in the requests themselves. The first is that the sovereign Lord might grant them boldness to speak. Verse 29. This is the first thing they ask for. Authorities breathing down their neck, hurling accusations and threats. The first thing they ask for, boldness. That request might seem surprising to us, even with the themes of Psalm 2 still ringing in our ears. What happens in Psalm 2? Well, there, the church prays that God would laugh at his enemies, Psalm 2, 4, that he would terrify them in his fury, 2, 5, and even dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel in 2, 9. Not a trace of that here, is there? Instead, the thing they ask for is that the word of God might spread through the world. They recognize they're not the first to suffer. Their father, David, was opposed by family and foe. Their Lord and Savior, Jesus, was persecuted unto death. And the church understands that this would be the first of many expressions of opposition and persecution and conflict that would come. They would need courage, gospel boldness in the days to come. Peter and John already declared they could not and would not stop talking about Jesus. But there wasn't an ounce of bravado in their tone. They understood that the only way they could say that was because the Spirit of Christ was in them, empowering them for gospel witness So they would need to be continually filled with supernatural boldness as they spoke and shared of the salvation that came through Christ alone. They asked for boldness in whatever circumstances await them. The second request of the Lord is stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand. The authenticating miracles performed through the apostles were signs that pointed to the fact that Jesus was still alive. Alive and well. Alive and resurrected. Alive and ascended. 
ruling and reigning at the Father's right hand. The healing of the lame man made way for the gospel to be preached to thousands of people in the temple courts. It was the same event that got Peter and John a sort of backstage pass of the worst sort, of the worst sort, before the Sanhedrin, where even there they were able to share the good news of Jesus with the very people who had planned his death. And so they asked for more signs and wonders to be done through the name of Jesus so that the message would keep spreading. There's a continual combination of signs and sermons, wonders and the word, miracles and the message that are woven together through the book of Acts. These believers had seen with their own eyes the wonders of God, heard the truth of who Christ is with their own ears. And so they're passionately pleading with the Lord for boldness, for God to go before them and flex his might with evidence of the resurrected Christ to attend their ministry in order that others would come to know the saving power of Jesus. And we learn another lesson here from how the church prays, even as their friends are arrested, as the entire people are commanded by the authorities to no longer speak of Jesus or do miracles in his name, they pray that's exactly what would happen because they submit to a greater authority than the authority of the land. They submit to the sovereign authority, God Most High. Notice they don't ask the Lord to change their circumstances or for a more compassionate leadership to be installed in the government or even for a lesser threat, but that the gospel would advance through their lives. The Apostle Paul praised like that regularly in his pastoral epistles from prison. The only people who would pray like this are those whose lives have been completely transformed, turned upside down by the power of the risen Christ, and who understand the value of what has been entrusted to them, the salvation of God in Jesus. I wonder how much of our prayer life focuses on the spread of the gospel in our community. How much of our prayer life is focused on the advancement of the kingdom of God in our workplaces. Or even that our children come to know the salvation of our God. Some of us might feel timid in sharing our faith with others. And it may be we've just never asked the Lord for boldness to fill us. Let's ask together for this kind of boldness. And that the Lord himself would open doors for gospel ministry for us. To grow in this posture of prayer. The final feature of this prayer meeting shows us the power of prayer. Verse 31 not only concludes the account of this moment in church history but also provides overwhelming evidence that the sovereign Lord has heard their prayer. There are a few dramatic and definite ways that this prayer is answered. Notice first, the place was shaken. Nothing else is said about this from Dr. Luke, but this is not an insignificant detail, right? 
If we were sitting here right now and the building starts shaking, we would know something's going on. Likely one of the fault lines in our beloved country. But it could be something more. It could be the Lord. And by this, we hear echoes. With a, by mention of the building shaking, we hear echoes of Exodus 19.18 when all of Mount Sinai shook as God met with his people. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 4, when the temple trembled in the presence of the Lord. The shaking of this structure would have been seen as a divine response to their prayer. The sovereign Lord had heard their cry. Next, we see that they were filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. We learn from the beginning of the book of Acts that the church needed the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them if they were to carry out the mission of Christ by making disciples, preaching and teaching and baptizing, going through the world, sharing the message of Jesus. In Acts 2, the church was filled with the Spirit for the first time. The gospel proclaimed and 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Here, they're not baptized again. Pentecost is not a repeatable event, but it is an irrevocable event. The Spirit of God has been poured out on His people. And here they are filled with the Spirit of Christ to empower them in their response to their requests so they could speak with boldness. And finally, Luke tells us that this is exactly what happened. They continued to speak with boldness. Now, the mention of boldness here forms an inclusio with chapter 4, verse 13. Look at your Bibles real quick. I want you to see the word boldness in chapter 4, verse 13. And look at boldness here in chapter 4, verse 31. What's happening here is Luke is telling this whole section of Scripture is really meant to make us see the boldness that God gave the church. We see in chapter 4, verse 13, that Peter and John were bold in their witness for Christ before the Sanhedrin. We learn here, this boldness didn't stop with Peter and John, but spread to the entire church. They continued to speak the name of Jesus, the things they had witnessed firsthand, passing on to others everything that Jesus had commanded. And then if you look, look forward a little bit, if you'll just turn the page to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. Luke tells us in 4.31 that they did continue to speak the word of God with boldness. 5.12 says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. What does that mean? God answered their prayer. The very things they had pled with God for, He answered their prayer. As we reach the, the conclusion of this remarkable passage, I wondered what application might be fitting for us as we think about the power of prayer. From the beginning, we've been a people of prayer gone through seasons of prayer. We have one just upcoming down the road. I thought about how we might um, encourage community groups to pray more faithfully together or 
strengthen and encourage our prayer team, which prays faithfully for people every week. But the more I thought about this, well, I even dreamed about having a monthly prayer meeting once we move into the building so that we could float home with the aroma of Christ like Spurgeon talked about. I'd like to have some experiences like that. But as I looked at my own life in light of this text, and as I thought about conversations I've had with many of you, I think the place that we must turn first is us going back to the basics and just asking the Lord together, Lord, teach us to pray. Where we wouldn't trust um, any man-made program or scheme or Nothing but the power of the risen Christ, the presence of his spirit, strengthening, filling us for gospel ministry here among one another and spilling over into this entire community and Lord willing to the ends of the earth. Would you pray that with me? Lord, teach us to pray. I think if we would commit to that, we would do very well. A hymn by James Montgomery, the same one I quoted earlier, seems fitting. He wrote, O thou by whom we come to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hast trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. We've walked into this ancient prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4. And I trust there's something for each of us to learn from it. Perhaps for some, the truths of who God are are the reminders needed to strengthen your reflex to pray when things go south, when things go sideways, when you're devastated by despair or by opposition or persecution as a Christian, that you would run to the sovereign God. For others, we may find help seeing the church pray for the advancement of the gospel so passionately, motivated to pray beyond our own household, beyond our own immediate sphere of, of, um, of dominion, And to pray that the gospel would advance through our lives. And still I'm certain that some in the room this morning just need to be reminded that God answers prayer. Don't stop praying. As a teenager, I would buzz around this Metroplex listening to preaching on the radio. There was a Calvary Chapel station that that broadcast. I don't know if it still is in existence, but I don't know the pastor's name, but I remember him saying to the congregation multiple times, this is the only advice he has to give. Pray, 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 pray. It seems like a fitting call to us that we would be a people who are convinced that our answer, that our hope, Our strength is to pray, pray, pray. Let's do just that. Father, I ask that as we have surveyed this model prayer that addresses you, that expresses confidence in your will, that demonstrates faith and hope, that welcomes us to bring requests to God, that as we continue to gather and pray for one another, for our community, for our children, for the advancement of the gospel, let us seek to know you.
confidently expect that you would hear us. Let us go straight to you and ask that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 